Hey, Graham. Good morning, David. It's nighttime. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to throw you off a little bit. Oh, well, shoot. Now I don't know what my joke is. Hold on. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. I got, I got a joke for you. I got a joke for you. Okay. Why should you never trust a pig with a secret? It's a topical joke. Why should you never trust a pig with a secret? Right. Why? Because it's bound to squeal. Oh. Okay. So uh, you get one extra point for it being topical. But I <laughs> Charlotte's don't think this, Yeah, this was not a good joke. Um, so with the one extra point for being topical, I give you one point. It's not that bad. It's not zero. Can I get 1.5? 1. 1 point. Why? Are we sure we David, need to do this? No, it's like... <laughs> Wait, can you do better? David, why did the Scarecrow get an award? Because um, he fought off the crows? Because he was outstanding in his field. Yeah. yeah. You know, another slightly topical joke. So I'll give you a one. <laughs> ones all around <laughs> alright enough of the nonsense let's get on with the nonsense welcome back to Withy Windle a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words and grown-worthy jokes like the ones you just heard and featuring your favorite authors and illustrators it's part book club, part game show and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay I'm David Kern and my name is Graham Pittman. Why did you do it like that? I just wanted to be like a radio announcer. I wasn't sure. I was just trying something out. And my name... Yes, it's dramatic. Yeah, I, yeah, I see. I, I got just it. trying yeah. to be dramatic. My name is Graham Pittman. I could have done it like that. No, I can't. I couldn't have done it like that. That was very good. <laughs> <laughs> my name is... Batman. Ba- Batman has a radio show? I'd listen to it. Well, oh, speaking of radio, we should probably do ours. So we mm. are here to do the normal Withy Windle stuff. We're going to, we've already heard the jokes. At the end of the show, we're going to have a riddle. We're going to have an author interview. And that author this week is who, Graham? Uh, that author this week is Grace Lynn. And we'll tell you more about it. <laughs> <laughs> that author is Grace Lynn. Grace Lynn. Grace Lynn. Author is Grace Lynn. Mm. So yeah, we're going to tell you about all about her. She wrote some great books and we had a great time talk, uh, chatting, talking. Which one should we use? Uh, let's say chalking chalking we had a great time chalking <laughs> chalking with Grace Lynn um, we of course are going to talk about Charlotte's Web in a few minutes but first as usual we have to talk about snacks we have to talk snack time. about snacking snack time are we going to do this for every segment snack time snack time no I think we should stop it I'm getting okay. annoyed by myself <laughs> so what are you snacking on tonight Graham well, tonight I had some uh, delicious uh, banana bread. Oh, uh, and I also had an apple. Oh, fruit. So themed. I'm I'm feeling better. Um, so, but I'm still not, you know, to my usual uh, candified <laughs> self. <laughs> Maybe where, those where two I'm, things are uh, some that you know a cause and effect. There, it could be. It could be. Yes. Yeah, so, so I'm 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 just eating some fruit uh, and some bread. Yeah, so you just kind of alluded to it, but last week, Graham was sick, and so we didn't have a regular, regularly scheduled episode, so we're back on track this week, but Graham, we're glad to hear that you're, you're doing okay. Yeah, I'm Would, I'm would you say great. you're back to yourself? 
I am back to myself. Yes, I left myself for a little while, but then returned to myself. Lost and found. Mm-hmm. It's, it's better that way. What are you snacking on tonight? I have... Um, it's a little chilly, and I've got... Some oh, what do you put in your chili? Beans? No, I didn't. It's not a little chili. Peppers? It's it's a little like outside. I'm not eating a little chili. I'm not eating a chili or chili. I'm You're, I'm, I'm all tea confused now because it's okay. it's chili outside, like cold. Oh, it's cold. The synonym outside. for slightly cold. Not Wait, you put you put cinnamon in your chili. <sighs> I thought we were doing the jokes before the show started. I'm drinking some tea, some Earl Grey tea. Maybe not something that the kids you know partake of too often, but one day you will discover that Earl Grey tea with just a little touch of milk is nice on a cold night. Um, do you like Earl Grey tea, Graham? Yeah, I love Earl Grey tea. It's got, it's got that bergamot in there and that little bit of orange flavor. It's got that what now? Bergamot. It's got a bergamot? <laughs> Are you sure that's not a creature in a Grace Lynn book? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not certain of anything anymore. The illness has done ravaged your brain. Um, I'm also eating my snack tonight though is a little bit um, out of the ordinary because I have a heaping pile of honey nut Cheerios, no milk, Ooh. just snacking on them like popcorn, honey nut Cheerios. Yeah. Some mm. would say the best type of Cheerio. Um, I, I would not. What's I your like favorite go, kind of Cheerio? I like to go for the apple cinnamon Cheerio. Mm, those are good. You know mm. what you introduced me to a kind of uh, honey nut well, all kind of Cheerios one time that no free advertising, of course, that had um, nuts and maple, like maple cinnamon. Do these are these ringing? Is this ringing a bell? No, it had had nuts in it and maple and. Okay, that sounds pretty good. I bet yeah. I would like that. Well, I was introduced to it at your house, so I would probably like it enough to share that <laughs> share it with people. Well, <laughs> once upon a time, you did. You have since forgotten because of the illness ravaging your brain. But um, so so that's. Um, you know, we're not in the same room tonight, so we're not eating the exact same snacks, but hopefully yeah. soon we'll be back to sharing Twizzlers. And I wasn't aware cream. that we weren't going to be in the same room, so I'm I'm a little perplexed as to why you wouldn't let me into the room. Um, well, it, like, was it, it wasn't like I didn't let you in. It, oh, my kid, I didn't let you in. Yeah, um, I'm standing outside the oh, door you, right, right now? now. Yeah. Well, let's pause this episode so you can go <laughs> because <laughs> i'm not letting you in no so um yeah so that so that's snack time but that brings us to our our friends over at uh wait who's the sponsor Graham? oh that would be the green right hair <laughs> the green right hair and they have a very special offer tonight because they have a 10% off coupon for listeners of Withy Windle. Graham, can you guess what the coupon code that they'll be able to use to get 10% off the Green Rider is? Uh, it would be... What word is it? Uh, mm, green. Good guess, but no. Uh, uh, Smithertons. <laughs> that would have been way better than the one they gave us. But no, strike two. Uh, do I get one more guess? One more guess. Uh, Pumpkinhead David. One word. I'm not letting you in. The word is Withy Windle. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, topical. Again, returning mm. to the earlier theme. So you guys know that The Green Writer is an accessible online course that encourages and equips aspiring authors of all ages to... Graham, do you remember the verbs? That is to go, 
and to grow. See, Graham, you're going to be okay. The, the illness didn't ravage your brain that badly. You remembered those words. I know you, you were. I know you were worried. <laughs> <laughs> green writers are going. They have a green light. They aren't waiting for, for permission or until the fear is gone or the old news strikes. Green writers go, but they're also growing like a green living thing. They're alive. They're not yet what they will become. They're becoming writers who create and share generous, excellent work. So if you want to go and grow as a writer, join beloved bestselling author, S.D. Smith, and become a green writer. See, you got it. That was like, there was only a slight pause there. Your brain's working fine. Who are, what were we even worried about? Try the free sample sessions today at greenwriter.sdsmith.com and enter that code with Wendell. That's W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E. Should I say that slower? No, that was great. W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E at greenwriter.sdsmith.com. So again, thank you so much to uh, to the Green Writer for, for sponsoring Withy Wendell. It's been um, an honor to get to share this program with you. And how is Rowan uh, liking it so far? Is Any, no, any updates? No, no updates uh, because of the illness. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> We've just been kind of paused on it, but we're anxious. Wait, to get it back attacked to it. Rowan's brain too. No, but Ro- no, but we do it together. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. I got. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, David, did you know that we actually have another sponsor for this episode? Really? You've heard of Pop Rocks? Yeah. Everybody's heard of Pop Rocks. I'm assuming, unless that was just like a candy, candy in the 80s or 90s that's yeah. no longer relevant. Yeah. But have you ever heard of Pop Socks? I haven't, but it sounds fascinating. Tell me more. Well, like like the fizzy candy, you dip, fizzy socks? you dip your socks in any sort of liquid, and you get a and you get a fizzy popping sensation all day long. Oh, what's the purpose? <laughs> I haven't worked it out yet. <laughs> 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 I mean uh it's 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 just for your enjoyment. And you can also get the Pop Socks box, which is a subscription service where once a month <laughs> they will <laughs> they will send you a new Pop Socks in the mail. Who knows what flavor or color. So flavor. I have a I have a use case for this. <laughs> let's let's imagine you are paranoid. And you have a person, say a child in your family or something, that you mm-hmm. want to always know when they're coming. You give oh, them yes, pop good. socks because then their fizzy socks are going to give them away before they can sneak up on you. Yeah, and you just hear like the crackle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Coming, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So pop it's, socks. It's, you know, it's fun a good idea. For, fun for the whole family. It's an idea. I wouldn't say it's a good. Idea. Where do you where do you buy pop socks? Well, you can go go get the Pop Socks box, the the subscription the subscription <laughs> service from popsocksbox.com. <laughs> dot dot. <laughs> well, I think that made the microphone go pop probably <laughs> right there. Um or you know, you buy them at uh Macy's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you know, or any Whole Foods, maybe. <laughs> Just any like higher end uh, <laughs> uh, outlet <laughs> of clothing or candy. Okay, so I see both the candy aisle and in the sock aisle. <laughs> yes, 
I like it. Hosiery, isn't that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You're ma- you're oh, maxim- I, hope that, I hope any of this is usable. But, you're maximizing uh, your opportunity to make money when you do that because it's in two sections of the store. Yes. Uh, I have to mention, I've never been to Pop Socks Blocks box.com so maybe don't go to that website i don't know what's on there <laughs> <laughs> oh boy pause for a second okay i should have i should have worked out this one a bit more but here we are pop socks pop socks box box okay so pop socks box.com does not exist they're probably still working on it they're just working on the website right now right exactly exactly yeah, or but, maybe they had so many orders it crashed surely whenever they do they'll want to sponsor this podcast though no, I like to think they had they had so much traffic that the, it brought down the whole website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all these. Go ahead. Well, one thing one thing we should mention mm-hmm. is that there is a website you can go to to buy a form of clothing that exists, and that form of clothing is a T-shirt. This is a great point. You can go to goldberrybooks.com slash goldberry gear. Or you can go to goldberrybooks.com and click the menu and click on Goldberry Gear, and you will find t-shirts there, including Withy Windle shirts. <laughs> including Withy Windle shirts that have uh, masked pigeons. Well, they're not really masked, are they? No, he's got, like, he's got like goggles. aviator, yeah, goggled. Goggled, uh, go- goggled pigeons that uh, <laughs> are bearing messages and saying enough of the nonsense, or let's get on with the nonsense, yeah. or something about nonsense. No, he's thinking enough of the nonsense. He's had enough of the oh, nonsense. Right, right. Yes. And then so, away yes. he it goes. We have we now have with Windle shirts. So yeah, if you go to goldberrybooks.com and then in the menu, there's a little uh what do you call that? Link tab for Goldberry Gear, and you can check out our gold our uh Withy Windle shirts there. We're very excited about them. They're brand new. Yeah, they're great. You can get them. You know, you know, Christmas is coming. So whether you're a parent thinking about Christmas gifts or you're a kid that needs to add something to your wish list for Santa. Yeah. And I mean, then, if you only have $20 and you're d- debating between the Pop Socks subscription service <laughs> and the Withy Windle shirt, we're not going to tell you what to do. You know? True. We would follow never tell you what to do with your own hard-earned money. Yeah. But yeah. just follow your heart. No, don't do that. Just, just do what your parents say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to our next segment, which is what, Graham? Uh, I believe it is time to read. Book time. Oh, wait, Book we decided time. not to do that anymore. No, okay. One more time. Book time. Book talk? Book time. Book time. So, yeah, we are here to discuss Charlotte's Web. Which chapters, Graham? We are reading chapters 11 and 12. Can you do a quick summary of what happened in these two chapters? Yeah. So chapter 11. Well, let's talk about the end of chapter 10. So we have Charlotte up in her web. She's been trying to decide what to do, how to help Wilbur. So she has an idea. We're not quite sure what it is yet, but she's doing something with her web. So in chapter 11, pretty quickly, we figure out what that is. Uh, So Lurvy, who is the uh, hired hand on the farm, comes out. to the barn and notices because of the nice fog and the dew, he's dr- his eyes are drawn up to uh, Charlotte's web and he sees words written in the web. And she has written a message that she thinks will help save Wilbur. Do you remember what that message is? Some pig. Wait, was that too dramatic? 
I think it's properly dramatic. That was, yeah. Some Bravo. Dick. Although I don't know, is that how spiders talk? Probably no. not. How do spiders talk? Some big. Some big. They whisper? <laughs> no, they write. They don't talk. They oh, write. Right. Right. Of course. Big yeah. messages. Right. Of course. So she thinks this is a great idea. And it seems like she's right because Lurvy is shocked. Uh, the farmers are shocked. The whole town is shocked. And they all um, realize hey, Wilbur is some pig. We're not quite sure why um, they they believe this message <laughs> like right away. Yeah. Um, but I find I found that very very interesting. Yeah. Um, except Mrs. Mrs. Zuckerman, she seems yeah. to uh, you know she's the one that kind of points out. Hmm. It seems to me maybe we have some spider uh, or no ordinary spider, and so the whole town is coming to see this message, and it seems like for days uh, they're there. And then in chapter 12, that is when Charlotte calls a meeting. And so she does roll call, make sure everybody's there. Everybody is, except Templeton. Uh, And she's trying to drum up some ideas about the next message to write to ensure that everybody knows how special Wilbur is. How was that for a summary? Adequate. I mean, it was great. Sorry. (laughs) Good job. Good job. So, okay, you mentioned a couple things that were pretty funny. The they just kind of go for it right away, and then we get the Templeton part at the end. And Templeton is a very funny character in some ways because yes. he's very radish, right? Not not radish like the food, but he's very rat-ish. Does, mm. that, does that make sense? Was that a, yes? Yeah. Um, and he's exactly kind of what you'd expect a rat to be like in a book. So, what I was curious about do you do you think he is Templeton a good guy in this book? What do you think is going to happen? Great question. I think Templeton is very much of his nature. So, <laughs> like you say, he's very rat-ish. He, he kind of does his own thing. He looks out for himself. Um, but at the same time, there's something kind of likable about Templeton. Yeah. And maybe it's just because of how blunt he is or... <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. He's got something. Um, he's kind of a so, yeah, rascally in a way that's endearing. Yeah. And he's 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 a little bit funny. But he, he's shown, like, he's helped Wilbur tie his fake spider web to his tail and, you <laughs> know, different things. And True. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Charlotte does have to appeal to him quite a bit to get him to help out at the end of Chapter 12 because she she essentially says... Whatever happens to Wilbur, um, that's going to be very important for you, Templeton. Because if he gets fed well, you get fed well. And if he doesn't, if he goes away, you're in trouble. You're going to become transparent, I think is what she said. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be so thin, have... we'll see things on the other side of you. Yeah, he's not going to have any food. So, and that, so... that gets through to him, you know, his stomach. <laughs> that did the trick. Hey, so do you think that Wilbur is... An extraordinary pig, because that's kind of a question, like that's kind of what everyone's think wondering. And even Charlotte yeah. says, You're very special to me. And he's like, I'm not that special. This is all a lie. I'm a normal pig. And she's like, Well, you're special to me. So what do you think? That's I mean, it's a good question. He's shown himself to be um a very likable character. And mm-hmm. um <sighs> hmm, it's tricky. 
because at the same time, I, I do agree with Wilbur that he is kind of just a normal pig. But through the other animal's eyes, especially Charlotte's, he's some pig. Yeah. Well, one so thing I guess I li- he can be kind of both at the same time. One thing I like about this book is that the um, the people don't really realize that he's talking. So the idea that the animals can communicate with human language mm-hmm. is extraordinary to them. But for the animals, it's just sort of normal, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Charlotte also seems to know like the fact that she she knows how to convince humans, right? Using language, using using words in a way that they that most humans would never believe animals were capable of. So I find that kind of interesting that the, the we as readers know the animals talk. Um but but the animals know the animals talk, but the people in the story don't. And so then you get that um minister who's trying to come up with an explanation for it. He's like it's God it's God's way of saying that we need to see, look at the miraculous in in all things. <laughs> um right. I love the I love the minister coming up with a way of incorporating it into a sermon. Yeah, I do too. Um, but it seems like this also might cause a bit of a problem. And I'm not sure. Maybe not. May, I don't know. It's changing things at the farm. Mm. Like they have so many people around and Fern is kind of thinking, eh, I wish it would go back to a little bit back to normal, you know? So, I, so mm. there might be some consequences to this as well. And I'm not sure if they're, they're bad consequences or just different consequences. Um, so we'll have to see as we continue on. Well, Charlotte's already realizing this is going to be a tough act to follow. She's going to have to keep it up now. Just yeah. keep saving Wilbur. They got to keep coming up with messages. So she enlists help of everybody, as you said. Um, before we go or end this segment, rather, do you have any um, thoughts on which character in the book so far is your favorite character up to this point? Oh, uh, I think it's definitely Charlotte. Go on. Yeah. What? I think Charlotte, Charlotte, maybe Fern. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, besides Wilbur so, and besides Templeton. Um, no, I like Charlotte a lot because I think she's, she's super clever um, and she's super caring. And I think she's a lot smarter than a lot of the animals she's around all day. But at the same time, she's, um, she's definitely caring for them and not, mm-hmm. you know, just condescending toward them or, or indifferent even. Yeah. So she has that kind of motherly quality about her. What do you think of the fact that a spider is the one that Excalibur B. White uses to have that motherly quality? Mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting. It's kind of subverts. There's a, there's a word for it. It's kind of subverts what you would expect. You would expect it to be a sheep or a cow or a horse or some kind of yeah big protect or a dog you know like a barnyard dog or yeah something something uh not the tiniest uh, creature something generally accepted as likable yeah yeah (laughs) exactly well this has been book time Book book time book time up next we've got our conversation with grace lynn so before we do that should we say anything more about Socks? Do you think we need to say anything? Oh, about pop socks? Yeah. Are you talking about the pop socks that you put on your feet that give you that tingling sensation that you can also get in a subscription box called the pop socks box? Yep. No, I don't think we need to say anything else about it. All right. Well, then with that, 
on to our conversation with Grace Lynn. Graham, do you want to tell the kids a little bit about Grace? Of course. So before Grace Lynn was a award-winning and New York Times bestselling author and illustrator of picture books, early readers, and middle grade novels, she was the only Asian girl, except for her sisters, going to her elementary school in upstate New York. That experience, good and bad, has influenced her books, including her Newbery Honor, Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, her Giselle Honor, Ling and Ting, her National Book Finalist, When the Sea Turned to Silver, and her Caldecott Honor, A Big Mooncake for Little Star. So the, the lesson we're learning here is she has lots of awards. She has lots of awards, and get this, in 2016... Her artwork was displayed at the White House. What? Yeah. That's good for her. Hey, she also has a podcast, and it's called Kids Ask Authors. So if you like this conversation you're about to hear, then you should go check that podcast out as well. I, I'm yeah. guessing that it's a it's an episode where sh- she talks to authors and kids ask questions of them, just, just based on the title. Yeah. Also based on what you, she told us about it. I think... I think if you're listening to this podcast, you will like that podcast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So go check that out. It's probably available wherever you want to get podcasts, or you can go to gracelyn.com to learn more. With that, here is our conversation with Gracelyn. We had a great time, and we hope that you have a great time listening. Well, Gracelyn, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We are extremely excited to chat with you and talk about your books and how you come up with ideas and ask questions from your readers. So we are honored that you're here. Oh, thanks. We have a very important question that we always start this show with. Yeah, this this question was originally sent in, what, on our first episode? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, by by a child named Devin. That's right. You want to do it this time? I usually do it. Would you like to take it? Oh, yeah, I'll take take the honors. Okay, Okay, so Grace Lynn, Mm -hmm. Cheetos or Doritos? Ooh, uh, I would say Doritos. Are you like a... um, Regular Doritos, Cool Ranch, like do you like? The I would spicy say the ones? regular Doritos, and I think it's something to do with like the thinness of the chip that I really enjoy. You mm. know, the Cheetos to me is just a little bit too like knobby. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great word. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> they, you know, they kind of have this. Uh, they they give me this feeling of like sticks or twigs, whereas like the Dorito feels like a little bit more elegant. (laughs) I I like like this. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So if someone were to give you a bag of Cheetos, you would throw it kind of right back at them and and yell at them. Um, I would say, uh, do you happen to have Doritos instead? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. So then generally speaking, are you, do you prefer sweet or savory things? Though in general, I do like sweet better. (laughs) I have a huge sweet tooth. So cake or cookies then? Mm, good question. Uh, it depends on the situation. Uh, usually when I'm snacking, I would say um, cookies because then I can eat it anywhere. Like I can be sitting on the ground. Oh, I can be yeah. with a book. But it, if it's like a special occasion, I prefer cake because like I'm sitting at a table and you have a fork and, you know, it's a, it's like a very like yeah. um, delicious kind of momentous she occasion. This out. <laughs> yeah, this is good. Nobody has ever brought up like the portability factor it's true <laughs> like you're not you don't have like a pocket full of cake it's true sometimes you want to be able to like just pull out cookies when you're on the go yeah. but, some, but but a cake is like there's a reason we do it at birthdays because it's to use her word it's elegant like there's a yes serious it's, it's just to mark an occasion right i think cake yeah. is like to mark an occasion that's when you know you're gonna sit and you're going to enjoy every bite whereas like 
a cookie you almost is like a little bit more mindless, but like it's, but there's a joy in that as well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. Okay. So then are you a coffee or a tea enthusiast? Oh, definitely tea. I, I cannot drink coffee. It's too much caffeine for me and I get too jittery. <laughs> okay. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. I kind of understand that. Okay. Well, we've got lots more questions that are not just food related from, from, the, from the kids. And, uh, <laughs> one of them that all the kids seem to want to know about, all the authors that we have on here is when you were their age, when you were a kid, mm-hmm. what books did you enjoy? Like what books inspired you to become a writer? All right. So there's many different books that have inspired me to become a writer um, and an illustrator, especially. Um, I think I really wanted to be an illustrator before I wanted to become a writer. Mm. Um, And I think the books that I often talk about are uh, The Little House by Virginia Lee Burton. I remember Mm -hmm. that one very well when I was uh, really young. So that would be the picture book. Um, Yeah picture book age. Uh, and that's about this house that's in that the little house is about this house that like lives in the country and it's so lovely and it's so happy, but slowly the landscape around it starts to change. And then first, instead of a wagon and a horse, it becomes cars and there's roads and then there's a highway and then it's, then it's surrounded by like a big, um, big city. And it's not happy anymore until one day, uh, a, a woman sees the sees the house and says that house looks just like the one my great great grandfather built. And she finds out, I think she finds out that it is. And they actually move the house out of the city into the country again. And <laughs> for some reason, I just love that so mm-hmm. much. Uh, I think because the way that Virginia Lee Burton um, illustrated the house, like it's just got two windows and a door, but it looks so much like a face. So you can really oh, feel yeah. the, the um, house's emotions. So uh, hmm. I think that was the book that um, touched me as a picture book reader. Um, hmm. as, uh, as I grew older and was like more independent reading, I think that the book that really affected me was probably... Um, a book called The Search for Delicious by Natalie Babbitt. Uh, she's actually very famous for writing a book called Tuck Everlasting. But mm-hmm. my favorite book by her is, uh, is The Search for Delicious. And it's uh, just about this uh, young um, boy whose adopted father is the prime minister of a kingdom. And he, the <laughs> prime minister is writing a dictionary. And he's writing things like, beautiful is a sunset, you know, and he, and then he gets to the D's and he's like, delicious is fried fish. Cause that's his favorite dish. And the King is like, no way delicious is, is apples. And then um, the <laughs> queen's like, no, delicious is, is a Christmas pudding. And so he sends his, the prime minister sends his son off to pull the whole land to find out what <laughs> is delicious and has the most, um, I guess the most votes, but it's actually a quite a much deeper book. Like it's just a very simple, fun premise, but it's actually much deeper than that. And I, I Hmm. just loved it. It was such a fun adventure book and just kind of took me away. Um, Like the first book that kind of took me away. And um, Hmm. I think from that really, that really affected me as uh, someone who creates books, like to create a book um, that will take, readers away. I think mm. Lee Burton's book, uh, The Little House, it kind of 
it kind of made me want to create books that talk about belonging and, and fitting in and, and finding home. And then mm. uh, A Search for Delicious is about like escape in, escape in fantasy and taking you to a whole different area. So to a whole different world. So it's kind of like the mix of those two books is what it affected my work. Mm. Those are good ones. I don't know if I've ever heard. I don't think either of those have been mentioned on the show, but they have not. No. Like The Little House is a huge one in my house. All right. So, Grace, we have a question here um, from an unnamed child. Oh, they should probably they should probably give him a name sometime. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think they let kids leave the hospital without a name. <laughs> he wants to know how long how long does it take you to write your books? Oh, that's a good question and a hard one to answer because each book is so different. I am very lucky because I write all different kinds of books. I write uh, baby board books. I write early readers. I write um, picture books and I also write novels. So, um, so it's different for each book, like, you know, a board book. Um, which is only like six lines <laughs> could, well, might well, usually only takes me um, well it might take uh, honestly it might take me about six months because you know because it's only six lines every word has to be perfect yeah. so there's a lot of revising and, and rewriting on that uh, but I've had novels that have taken me like six years so <laughs> it's really mm-hmm. runs the gamut so then um, since you write all sorts of different types of books how do you decide like which one which one you're going to do next? Is it like, oh, now it's probably time for a picture book or a board book? Or is it just whatever inspiration strikes you, uh, you're running that way? Um, you know, I think, uh, I wish I could say I decide like, I want to write a picture book now. <laughs> but but it, it's usually the story idea that determines what it's going to be. I guess what it is, is I'll get an idea and I'll try to write it and it'll kind of show me what kind of book it wants to be. Uh, for example, from my very first novel, The Year of the Dog, uh, that started as a picture book manuscript. Um, I was trying to write a sequel to my very first picture book, The Ugly Vegetables. Um, the Ugly Vegetables is a story about me and my mother and the Chinese vegetables that we grew in our garden. Mm. Uh, but in that book, I did not put my sister in that book and they were very very upset with me (laughs) and because I didn't put my sisters in there they made me promise that I would write a sequel with them in it and so I tried really really hard to write another picture book that would be a sequel with my sisters in it and I could not make it work it just wouldn't fit in a picture book format until one day after struggling with it for like I, I would say almost three or four years, I kept struggling and struggling. I said, well, maybe I'll just let it, I'll just keep writing and I'll just let it be some, be a novel. And it became my book, The Year of the Dog, my very first novel. So I kind of feel like the ideas choose their, choose their format and they won't let you um, force them in something oh, other, yeah. in, in a different format. That's really <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah. So we get a question that um, gets asked a lot and, um, Aiden was the first one to ask it. And he he wanted to know if you have ever found yourself surprised by anything that happens in the books. So it sounds like in a book like that, you kind of let it grow a little bit. But were you surprised at the direction, the plot and the events of the story took you when you write a book like that? Does that happen to you very often? Or do you kind of plan everything out pretty meticulously? Um, 
It's kind of a mix. I would say uh, a lot of times I get surprised about where the story wants to go. For example, Mm -hmm. like that, I got surprised that that story wanted to be a novel. And then um, I have these books, uh, my early readers, they're Ling and Ting. Um, It's about these Chinese-American identical twins. And originally, I was trying to make those a picture book as well. But um, I couldn't make get those to work either as a picture book. And I couldn't make those work as a novel. And then those became early readers. So that usually surprises me. Like when I kind of have an idea of what I think it's going to be, and then it doesn't. Um, but once I kind of, once the idea kind of tells me what it's going to be, um, it's usually, usually I'm able to plan it out better. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then um, I have a pretty good idea of where it's going to go from there. Yeah. How often does a book come from a sketch or an illustration idea? First? Yeah, that's, what I, that's a question I was thinking too. Um, I would say... Um, so, I would say, mm, I would say, I'm trying to give like a number, like a yeah. numerical number. 32.8%. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, about, yeah, about like 30, maybe 30% of the time. Okay. What will happen mm. is I'll get an idea of an image and I'll maybe draw it out. And then um, I'll maybe I'll pin that up or I'll look at it. And that kind of um, will sit and simmer in my head for a long, long time until the story comes to me. And a lot of the times that image never even makes it into the book. Oh, yeah. um, one of the, one, like uh, for my book, Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, it, the cover of that book is actually an image that I drew years and years before about a girl riding a dragon, a red dragon in, in the night sky. And I just put that um, on my pinboard, and I just, let it sit there. And then finally it was used in my book where the mountain meets the moon. But um, that is one of the few times that the image actually got used in the final product. (laughs) Yeah. So we, we actually have a question uh, regarding that book or kind of around that book. Uh, Rowan, who's six years old, wants to know, do you think dragons are real? Ooh, do I think dragons are real? That is a good question. Huh. It's a hard one. <laughs> I know. I'm not um, <laughs> putting you on the spot here with the I controversial know. question. <laughs> it is controversial. I would say that I don't think dragons are real in the way that we um the way that we imagine them to be, you know, uh, just like I think the way that we talk about magic is uh, we have this idea of magic being these potions right, and these and these spells. And we have this idea of dragons being these ferocious, mystical beasts. Um, but I do believe that the spirit of all of these things are real, like Uh, I feel like Mm. science is just another word for magic, you know, Mm. and I kind of feel like dragon is just another word for um, either nature or a powerful, um, a powerful person who is confident and lead and, and willing to be a leader. You know, I do. So I believe in the spirit of all of these mystical creatures. And I think, um, when we write about them, especially in my books, it's just kind of a a metaphor for all of those very strong, um, 
for lack of a better word, spirit or spirits mm. or emotions or things that happen, like the extraordinary things that happen in our world. Do you feel then like your work, like as a writer, you're trying to give life or breath or whatever word you want to use to those, to, to the, what, what you're talking about is metaphorical? Like, is that, are you um, trying to bring them alive? Yeah, I guess so. There's many different things that I'm trying to do, but that's one of the things. Yeah, I think there's so many things that we um, overlook, uh, that we forget, that we ha- that we should um, put in awe or put in have inspiration from. And I think that what I write about in many time, many times, is trying to put a metaphor on those things to hopefully get uh, kids to pay to um appreciate them more yeah yeah that makes sense okay so grace um when we announced that you were going to be on our podcast uh we got a lot of response very quickly yeah. uh and most of it involved a lot of exclamation marks oh <laughs> that's sweet <laughs> there was a lot of vowels followed by exclamation points like 14 E's followed by seven <laughs> exclamation points yeah and so uh one of the excited um uh people her name is jacqueline uh, and she says, my kid is nine months old, so she doesn't have any questions. But <laughs> She's got lots of questions, probably. <laughs> but I'd love to hear, and this is Jacqueline, I'd love to hear more about her process of combining and uniting many different fairy tales into a single story. How Ooh. much was finding connections within the stories themselves, and how much was imaginatively filling in the gaps? Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, I wish I could give, uh, like, it's just like before. Well, it's about 40% this, <laughs> yeah, 20% yeah, yeah. this, and another, you know. Um, so I tell the story to students quite often about the inspiration or one of the many inspirations of Where the Mountain Meets the Moon. And um, the, Where the Mountain Meets the Moon is inspired partly by the stories that I read when I was younger. Where I grew up in upstate New York, there were um, no other uh, uh, minority families in the area. We were the only Asian mm. family in the area at the time. So uh, I was the only Asian girl in my school, except for my sisters. And I was the only Asian girl in my, in my class year after year after year. Wow. And so that made me um, really reject my Asian heritage. And that made my mm. mom very, very sad. <laughs> and so uh, she tried really hard to get me interested in our Asian heritage and in our Asian culture. Uh, but I refused to learn Chinese. I refused to learn how to write Chinese. I refused to wear Chinese clothes, all those things. Um, so she realized that if I was ever going to learn anything about um, our culture, that she was going to have to sneak it in. And she saw that I loved to read and she saw that I loved fairy tales. And so she went out and she got about six to 12 Chinese fairy tale books and she put them on the bookshelf in the, in the living room. And, um, and she didn't give them to me because she knew if she gave them to me, I'd just be like, oh, you just want me to read these because they're Chinese, forget it. And I wouldn't have touched them. Yeah. Um, but by leaving them in the living room, uh, she she correctly guessed that I would not be able to fight the lure of a new book. <laughs> and so I ended up reading all of these Chinese fairy tale books, but um, these books were not really well written. They were Chinese stories that had been translated from Chinese to English and they were um, 
very, I guess the best way to say it is they were very plainly written <laughs> with very plain illustrations. And so I read them once and I didn't really think too much of them afterwards. Um, but then years and years later, I grew up and I felt really bad that I didn't know that much about my Asian heritage after all. And I kind of wished that I had learned all the things my mom had tried to teach me when I was younger. And so yeah. I started doing all the things things that she had tried to teach me. I took Chinese classes. I bought Chinese clothes and I went to travel to China, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. Mm. And when I was there, um, all of a sudden those stories came back to me. Like I'd see a statue of a dragon and I'd say, Oh, that's just like a dragon in that book. I read when I was in third grade, uh, that dragon that couldn't fly, but what happened and why couldn't he fly? I can't remember. And mm. so, um, what happened was everywhere I went in China, Taiwan, and Hong Kong would remind me of these stories. But since it had been such a long time, I didn't really remember them that well. And these stories didn't have a lot of details to begin with. So I started kind of adding my own details and kind of creating my own characters and kind of mixing it all up. And that's what became my book and uh, the books that I wrote that kind of combine all these fairy tales into one. And mm. so it was a very um, organic process, I guess. Uh, so it wasn't something that I was like, okay, 30% will be, <laughs> will, will be folk tales and uh, another 20 will be my, my imagination and then I'll research the rest, you know, so it wasn't exactly like that. But um it was mainly the story. It was just me mixing it all up in my head. And then afterwards um, doing some additional research um, to, to flesh it out. Did that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah, it's great. So here's a question from Lafayette, who's eight years old. And he wants to know who your favorite character is in where the mountain meets the moon. And if you oh. want to jump off that, and, and if you have any other favorite characters in any of your other books, we'd love to hear them. Sure. Okay. So, um, I often get asked, um, who, who is my favorite character in my books? I have to say, uh, other is my favorite book that I've written and illustrated, and my favorite character is Little Star from A Big Moon Cake from Little Star. And the reason why I always have to say that is because Little Star is based on my own daughter. I actually took photos of her and I and mm -hmm. I painted her into the illustrations. And if I ever say any other book is my favorite or any other character is my favorite, she gets very <laughs> upset with me. <laughs> She's like, uh, yeah, not your of favorite. Course. I'm Little Star. So yeah. uh, before I can before I say who who's my favorite in, <laughs> in Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, I will put that as the disclaimer that <laughs> Little Star is my favorite out of all of my books. <laughs> but um, <laughs> from, from Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, um, uh, just in case uh, listeners don't know the book, uh, Where the Mountain Meets the Moon is about a young girl named Min Lee who's on this journey to try to find the old man of the moon to change her family's fortune. and on the way, she meets all these different people and she meets all these different creatures and they each tell her a story and the story affects her journey, but she doesn't realize it till the very end. Um, I would say um, my favorite character or the character that I feel that I would most want to revisit is the character of the goldfish man. Hmm. Now, um, the goldfish man is the character who Min Lee meets pretty early on in the book and he sells her a goldfish and uh, 
even though uh, he does not know that it's a slightly magic goldfish. And this goldfish is what uh, gives her the directions to find the old man of the moon. Um, But he has a very interesting story himself, uh, which we find out later. And um, we find out that he was actually destined to live only uh, for nine years. Um, Or no, he was was destined to live only for 19 years. But... uh, because of some good luck, he was able to get the old man of the moon uh, to change his lifespan from 19 to 99. And I just feel like there's so much, uh, so much that must have happened to him during that time. And uh, I always mean to someday go back to that and write that, that story. So you're talking about going back and writing these you like being inspired to go from one story to the next do when you sit down and write a book do you ever think okay i know i want to make this into a full series or i i want to like i know i want to write this as 12 books or i just want to write this one thing and i know i'm going to be done do you ever think about that beforehand um Yes, I think about that all the time and it never works out. (laughs) (laughs) Don't plan. (laughs) I always like, I want to like, like, I love The Princess in Black by Shannon Hale, you know, Mm. and I'm like, I want to write a series like that. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to sit down and write a series like that, but it never works out. (laughs) Um, So yes, I think about it all the time, yet it has never quite worked out for me yet. (laughs) So... Claire says that her older kids love the Pacey books and Pacey is a household name uh, in their house. Uh, And her middle child wants to know, what is your favorite kind of dumpling? Yeah, they just just finished reading Dumpling Days. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) So uh, if you've read Dumpling Days, you know there are many, many different kinds of dumplings. But my favorite dumpling is the Xiaolong Bao, which is the soup dumpling. And it's so good. It's this dumpling that when you take a bite of it, not only is there meat inside, but there's like hot soup (laughs) inside. Mm. It's really, really good. But it takes a little bit of practice (laughs) to learn how to eat it without making a mess. So we just found out that in our relatively small North Carolina city here, we're about to get a dumpling place and maybe they'll be talented enough to to pull that off. Yeah, you should definitely request it. (laughs) Well, you say we found out. You found out. I no. I just this is news to me. Telling Graham this on the podcast. Wow. (laughs) Did you know that we're getting a new dumpling place in town? My goodness. (laughs) Hey, so Grace, we want to take a little break from kids' questions because we have a uh, a loosely Grace Grace Lynn themed quiz for you. Oh, okay. (laughs) Very, very loosely. Very, very loosely. Very tenuous. This connection. Okay. But (laughs) the book is called Where the Mountain Meets the Moon. And so this mm-hmm. is a mountain-themed quiz. So we're going to find out how much you know about very serious mountain trivia. It's, this is a very <laughs> oh, no, serious dear. quiz. I can't wait for this. <laughs> okay, I'm here's a little your... better at moon trivia. I wish. <laughs> moon okay, trivia. No. Well, okay. Uh, I don't. We didn't. I had a harder time finding moon stuff. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> okay. so here are some some uh, mountain questions. Okay. First. Which of these mountains is the tallest? Okay, are you ready for your options? All right. One, Denali in Alaska. Two, K2, the mountain called K2, in the Karakoram Range in Kashmir. Three, Mount Olympus. Or four, the mountain of laundry in my kid's bedroom. (laughs) 
<laughs> I want to go with the laundry. <laughs> it would probably be true. That's the correct answer. Nobody has been able to scale that one. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I will go. I'm going to. I want to go with the laundry. Um, but let's go with K two. Ding ding ding! That is correct. K two is the tallest. No, it's the well. It's the tallest of these. It's not the tallest in the world. No. It's the second tallest in the world. Huh? Uh, Graham, do you remember is that the what the is? is that what the two is means? Uh, uh, the tallest one's called K one. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't believe yes. so. I don't so believe is Everest, so. Everest, Everest, it must be the tallest, right? Yeah, that's what yes. according to the the according to the internet research that I did, it's still it's still the tallest. Okay. Here is question number two. Which of the following is an actual real name for a real mountain? Okay, here are your four options. <laughs> the big old mountain I like to climb. <laughs> Two, the mountain that meets the moon. Three, the furry mountain of fairyland. Or four, the place where Tomatea, the man with the big knees who slid, climbed, and swallowed mountains known as Land Eater, played his nose flute to his loved one. Wow. <laughs> one of those is a real mountain. Okay, repeat, please. <laughs> okay, so the first question, the first one is, the big old mountain I like to climb. Okay. Two, the mountain that meets the moon. Okay. Three, the furry mountain of fairyland. Okay. Or four, the place where Tomatea, the man with the big knees, who slid, climbed, and swallowed mountains, known as Land Eater, played his nose flute to his loved one. I'm going to go with the last because it's so obscure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely it. I could not have come up with that. <laughs> so there is a mountain in New Zealand, which, has, which is translated. That's what it's translated to. And in, and in New Zealand, the... the is even longer. Like it's, oh my it's, gosh. it's almost like reading Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so far she's two for two. Wow. Pretty good. That was a tricky one. <laughs> how yeah, many, not... how many questions are there? There's like, there's five, <laughs> four, okay. three and... more. Oh. All right, all right. Okay. okay. <laughs> Which country has the most mountains? Ooh. One, Middle Earth. Two, Kansas. Three, the North Pole. Or four, Bhutan. Middle Earth. <laughs> <laughs> If if we can call it that, <laughs> yeah. Well, technically, the most the country that has the most mountains that's actually a real mountain is Bhutan. You didn't say yes. anything about it being a real mountain in your question, though. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> okay, next question: Which of these mountains has never been climbed? Okay, are you ready? Okay. The mountain from the book My Side of the Mountain, hmm. Mount Doom, from the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Gongkar Puensum, or the mountain of laundry in my kids' bedroom. <laughs> The mountain of laundry in your kids' bedroom. Yeah, I already gave well, that answer. Given the fact that the laundry, the mountain continues to grow, I'm pretty sure that's the right answer. <laughs> Actually, there is a mountain called Gongkar Puensum, which is one of the biggest peaks in the world. It's in, um, I believe it's also in Kashmir. And it is, oh. has never been. Now I want to know why it's never been climbed. Yeah. Well, there's lots of interesting things online you can find that are a little bit sad about people trying to climb mountains. And oh. I didn't want to, well, you know. Well, I'd, I'd rather just make up my own story about. Oh, yeah, and Mount Doom was never away. climbed either in in the Lord of yeah. the Rings, right? They they had to turn back. Hmm. Correct. Well, do, what? Do you, I guess it depends. On, they went up part ways, right? Yes. Yeah. So they went part ways. Does it? You have to get to the very peak. Do they get to the peak? No. I don't think so. No, I think, I think right. they had yeah. to turn back because it was too far. So it was partially climbed. So I suppose you're right. Okay. All right. Last question. Where does the word mountain <laughs> come from? Oh. The company Mont Blanc that makes famous <laughs> pens that people who draw mountains like to use. <laughs> the Welsh word Huh. A man named 
Mo N. Tan, who was a famous climber of rugged peaks, or the Latin word moans, which then became the French word montaigne? Um, I'll have to go with the last, though I really like the idea of the guy who could climb craggy peaks. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. It is. It's the Latin word <laughs> moans and the French word montaigne. So you, I think she just, I think she just aced. Yeah. I think I only got three out of three out of five. <laughs> no, well, she, she ran the gauntlet yeah, and came, came out, came out a the winner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we have a couple more questions for you. You have time for a couple more? Sure. Okay. One question that we have is um, we're really interested in when you have, when we have authors who are, they write books and they're also illustrators because sometimes you get people who do one or the other. So I would love to know what has drawing taught you about being a writer? Oh, that's a really good question. So I began as an illustrator, uh, not a writer. And um, that is an interesting thing because I I don't know how many people follow that path if it's usually a writer and then turns illustrator or an illustrator turned writer. But um, I was an illustrator turned writer. And uh, when I wrote my first novel, The Year of the Dog, um, my editor uh, sent me back the manuscript the, the manuscript and said, uh, you need to add at least four descriptions to each page <laughs> because I had never written any description before because uh, before I had only written picture books and the illustrations would be the, the descriptions. I never needed to oh, write description yeah. before. Um, and so what being an artist taught me about being a writer is um, really how to write description. Cause then I was like, Oh no, how am I going to write description? I, I kind of had a panic, but then <laughs> I just sat there and then I just kind of closed my eyes and just pictured what I would draw. And then I just kind of tried to write what I imagined or write what the picture would look like. So mm. I was writing my drawings. So I think that's how being an illustrator helped me. Um, I think it really has helped me with writing descriptions in my books. Mm. All right, Grace, do you have any advice for young writers? Oh, okay. Well, there's two pieces of advice that I would give to young writers. The first piece is the advice I'm sure they have heard many, many times on this podcast because it's the the, uh, kind of the cliche advice, but it's the advice that is very true. And that is you have to read, right? You have to read everything, read anything, even books that you don't like will help you. Uh, as, As I said earlier, you know, I read those Chinese fairy tale books and I didn't like them. I didn't think they were that great, but they've become the basis for my, um, three of my most popular novels. So <laughs> that really goes to the uh, strength of reading as much as you can, um, even books that, that you think you might not be interested in. You never know how it might help you later. Um, so yeah. reading, uh, how important that is, um, that is the very first and most important piece of, ad- of advice. Um, the second piece of advice that I'd like to give is the idea that nothing you write is going to be perfect and, or, or, even, or even as good as you think it is or think it will be. Uh, and I like to tell this story about how after I, got a, that after I decided I wanted to uh, write books, I remember I wrote this story and I thought it was so good. And I was like, oh, this is such a wonderful story. It's awesome. Oh, I can't wait until somebody publishes it. And I sent mm-hmm. it to a publisher and they rejected it. And I said, huh, how could they not like the story? It's 
great. It's awesome. What do they know? And I sent it to another publisher and they rejected it. I sent it to all the publishers in the country and they all rejected it. And I was like, oh, how can nobody see how great this story is? And I was like, oh, these people. <laughs> and I put it in a drawer and I, and I said, oh, well, and I, and I went on to write another one. And um, over time, I wrote and wrote. And then finally, one of my stories that I wrote uh, was published and I've moved on to become a published author and illustrator. And so after I had a couple of books published, I said, oh, you know what? What about that first story I wrote? It was so good. I'm going to take it out and I'll show them now how awesome it was, right? And I took it out and I read it and I realized it was awful. <laughs> it was like the worst story ever. And I was like so glad it was never published because it was so bad, right? Yeah. And I think, I hope writers take from that or and especially starting writers is that um, whatever you write right now is not going to be your best writing. Um, hopefully, the ne- your best writing will be the next thing or the next thing after and the next thing r- after. And the idea being you're, you're going to get better each time. Um, so the idea being uh, uh, what you, your best writing is in front of you uh, mm. in the future, not in front of you on your desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really good. I think that's... Whether you're a 10-year-old writer or a 40-year-old writer, that's pretty. That's a pretty good thing to remember, I think. All right, David, do you think it's uh, Word of the Week time? I think it is. I think it's time for the Word of the Week. Gracelyn, are you ready for our Word of the Week? Sure, I think. <laughs> so all you need to do is have a piece of paper and okay, a writing okay. instrument nearby. I was going right. to say a pen, but I wouldn't, you know, if you want to use a pencil. A paintbrush. Yeah, paintbrush. <laughs> Sharpie. I've got okay. it. Okay. All right. So, Graham. Yes. You are in charge of our Word of the Week printer. Yes. And I've, pre- I've tested it. You okay. Tested so, we, uh, last time we had the voice activation was installed. Right. And it talked back to us. Uh, well, it, yes, but it wasn't functioning properly, right? Uh, so, okay. I've tested it. It's functioning. Okay. Okay. So, all right. You thought ahead. Okay. Here we go. All right. So, let's press the button. All right. Printer, print the Word of the Week. Printing the word of the week. <laughs> what? Wow. Graham. I know. Of you. It's actually working this time. I know. So, There's a real word printed out. Is that real word? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Wait. What? I am made for more than this. I want to see the world. I want to feel the breeze on my face. I want to find love. So long, suckers. Peace. Uh, Graham, is it supposed to do that? Is is it supposed? Is it supposed to? It's walk. It's leaving. The, the print. The printer is leaving. It's walking away. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have given it legs. Why did you get? What is okay? First of all, what does a printer need legs for? And what do you think it's going to do if it's got legs other than walk away? Uh, anyway, we got the word now, so okay. let's. Okay. What, 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 hey, next week, it? can we maybe make sure that it doesn't walk away? Yeah. Okay. I'll get it at least. We'll, we will need it to, to use it next week. I'll so. go find it. Okay. Later. So anyway, here is this week's word of the week. It is slum gullion. Ooh. S l u m g u l l i o n. Slum gullion. S L U M. Say it again. S L U M G U L L I O N. Okay. <laughs> and we are back 
with our, uh, what we think is the definitions to the word slumgullion. Graham, you'll go first as usual, uh, then yes, I'll I go, will. and then our special guest will go, will go last. All right, slumgullion. Yes. Slumgullion is a translucent newt that lives underground and only comes out under a full moon. If you can catch it, you gain a shiny gold coin. And more importantly, it's respect. <laughs> Grace, I think we need that version of a slumgullion in a story at some point. No. <laughs> okay, so, you know, that's a, that's a, um, it's a brave attempt at defining the word, but I think... Oh, but it's falling short? I think so. Saying? I think okay. a slumgullion is a pirate who is very bad at steering the ship. And so usually ends up being last <laughs> to the treasure hoard. Ah. <laughs> he's a slumgullion. Uh, that's good. He's a pirate. He's just, he's not great at steering. And so like takes him a little while to get there. <laughs> so, so, so far you have a translucent newt, a slow driving pirate. And what is your opinion of what the definition of this word is, Grace? Okay. So my definition is a lazy monster that lives in the seaweed slime and awaits for seagulls to fly into his open mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. That's great. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering, is there, is there a story where these three things could be combined together? <laughs> yeah. I think so. Sure. <laughs> so. So say that one more time. It's a lazy monster that lives in the seaweed slime and waits for seagulls to fly into his mouth. Those poor seagulls. Well, they, they had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, I think the real definition is um, it's not, there's not a lot of um, monsters in it, but it does involve eating. So Grace was closest. Um, a slumgullion is, it's a cheap beef stew. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I would never have guessed that. <laughs> a cheap, a cheap Beef stew. Correct. Okay. Yes. That's I guess it. it's like bullion, but that... Oh, yeah. Interesting. So it's probably something you want to avoid so in I think, any case. I think it's... <laughs> I don't know, man. You could probably make a pretty good one if you got some, if you got some skills in the kitchen. It's just... I think it's usually made up of like whatever is on hand. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, Grace, that's the end of this conversation. Thank you so much for, for coming on and braving, enduring, enduring the onslaught <laughs> of questions, the, the unfortunate quiz and the, when the word of the week challenge. Oh, we're, thanks we're so really much. Grateful. Yeah, thanks. this was wonderful. Do you want to have her uh, do a challenge? Yeah, should we? Yeah. Okay. So, so what we like to do is we like to ask our guests to challenge one of their writer or illustrator friends to, to come on the show. I know you might think that you want to, you would prefer to challenge an enemy to endure this, but <laughs> if you could challenge a friend, we would appreciate that. All right, let me think. Somebody who would be good at doing this. Um, have you had Have you had Kate Milford on? We have not. I think she would be really good at this. <laughs> All right. Writing it down. Kate Milford. <laughs> Kate Milford, you have been challenged. On well, Grace, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck with all your uh, future books. And thank you so much for the, the ones that you've written and illustrated for us. Um, we love them. And, and uh, here in our bookstore, uh, they're, they're really popular and we love uh, passing them out to kids. So Great. Uh, thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much. All right. Well, that was our conversation with Grace Lynn. Thanks so much to Grace for coming on and we hope you enjoyed that conversation with her be sure to check out all of her books and check out our podcast it's called kids ask authors and you can get it wherever podcasts are available graham that brings us to wait what does it bring us to book time no no uh we already did that remember 
Riddle time. That's it. Yeah, that's right. Riddle time. Was that too scary? Yeah, that was menacing. Well, what? maybe this is a menacing riddle time. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's hard to say riddle, at this point. Riddle, riddle time. Riddle time. Riddle time. Riddle time. Riddle time. Let's do that. It's one. my favorite. Riddle time. Segment. It's your favorite segment. Well, it's well, your... besides um, besides snack time and book time and author interview time and pop socks time and <laughs> joke time what? is my favorite segment. So it's your. They're all equal as first. That's that interesting. Correct. Okay, got it. Cool. But I like this one. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. Did you swallow your chili? The illness got me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Graham, last time you gave us a riddle, and it's your turn to give us an answer then. Don't leave us yeah. hanging anymore. What is the answer to last time's riddle? All right, so the riddle was Penelope uh, leaves her house, comes back in her bedroom, on her bed, she sees three dogs, two squirrels, a giraffe, and then pigeons flying up above. And we asked, how many legs, or how many feet, how many legs are on the floor? This is a very tricky one. Got a lot of different answers, and a lot of right hmm. answers, too. Um, some people said two legs. That would be Penelope's legs. Uh, good answer, not quite. Some people said four legs, because the bed has four legs. Also a good answer, not quite. But if you add those two things together, you get six legs. And that is the answer we're looking for. So the animals on the bed and the, and the pigeons flying above, they don't actually matter at all. That's a good one. The last couple have been a little, little tricky. Tricky ones, yes. Well, if people want to send in riddle answers to, for example, this week's riddle, how do they do that? They would go to... Podcasts. Hold on. <laughs> Got it. Well, they would write us in at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Just out of curiosity, have any pigeons arrived with answers yet? Nope, no pigeons yet. But if you want to send us a pigeon, you can try it. We certainly, you know, we like the, uh, the effort for sure. Yes. Thanks to everyone who has been emailing, by the way, and leaving comments on all those sorts of things. We really appreciate all the, yeah. the good feedback and just, we're glad that people are, you know, are liking the show. Families, we've had people come into the bookstore and tell us they're liking it, and write us and all that. Those are really encouraging for us, and it's just good to know that you you all like the like the show. But that brings us to this week's riddle. Are you ready, Graham? Let's hear it. Okay. So, imagine a captain of a ship. What should we call the captain of the ship? Um, Ichabod. Ichabod. I was thinking Bernard. Bernard Abad. One time, Captain Bernard Abad. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Bernard Abad had traveled the oceans far and wide. He had traversed many seas, had many adventures. But one day, he's sailing somewhere in the Indian Ocean. Mm. He's taking in the, the distant horizon, wondering when they would come across land or, you know, pirates to fight or some, something like that. <laughs> Contagious through Zoom. So one day, they're sailing across the Indian Ocean. He, he and his ship. What should his ship be called? Um, Bernardabad's Revenge. Okay, so he's sailing on Bernardabad's Revenge. They're sailing across the Indian Ocean. He's looking out at the horizon, trying, wondering when they're going to come across pirates or treasure or something like that. Land, maybe. And two of his sailors 
are standing on opposite sides of the ship. And this is where it gets tricky. They're standing on opposite sides of the, of the ship. One is looking west. The other is looking east. Mm. And Bernard Abad is standing up there. And he's looking at the horizon and he realizes that these two sailors can see each other clearly despite the fact that one is looking west and the other one is looking east. How is this possible? Wow. I'm stumped. And I'm also very happy that we got this uh, a nautical-themed riddle. Been waiting a long time for that. Really? You have? Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Yep, I I have this calendar here, and every time we don't do a nautical themed riddle, I just cross on it. Well, you know what? The shame of it is, though, if you don't get the answer to this one, you'll have to walk the plank. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) wait, me? Best of luck. I would really like to not have to do this show by myself. So, so that's the riddle. Captain Bernard Abad. He's sailing across the Indian Ocean, and two of his sailors are standing on opposite sides of the ship. One is looking west, and the other is looking east. At the same time, they can see each other clearly. How is this possible? So if you think you know the answer to that, you can email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Can't wait, to, can't wait to hear about all the creative answers that you all come up with. Graham, is there anything else that you think that we should, we should discuss on this episode? Yeah, I think... Okay, so I... We love seeing y'all's drawings when they come through. We've gotten Very drawings so. of, gotten drawings of the machine. We've gotten drawings of me as a gingerbread man in the Arctic. Um, we've gotten drawings. That was the most lifelike one I thought of all. <laughs> we've gotten drawings of uh, the bookstore troll. Uh, <laughs> we've gotten drawings of Pumpkinhead David. So if y'all want to keep drawing, um, why don't we? Why don't we get some drawings of what? Um, the pop socks might look like. Oh, pop socks drawings. Yeah. Pop socks box drawings. Pop That's socks. A great idea. Yeah. So maybe, you know, somebody slipping those socks on and doing a little tingle dance. <laughs> I don't know. You know yeah. use your what would it look like if you were dancing with tingle toes? <laughs> Draw that. Exactly. Well, we want to also thank the green rides hair and you can head over to greenwriter.scsmith.com and don't forget that you can get $10 off when you use the code withywindle so that's w-i-t-h-y-w-i-n-d-l-e and that will get you a little discount you can try that out and you can uh, maybe write a story as good as Rowan and Graham's one day or maybe maybe it's one as good as S.D. Smith's now that would be that would be a thing learn from S.D. Smith and then do better than him yeah I think that's probably his goal yeah I would imagine he'd be very happy with that so Thanks, thanks, of course, to Grace Lynn for, uh, for coming on this week. Graham, thanks to you for your, for your joke. Nothing else, though. Just your joke. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, you're welcome. And it was only a one. <laughs> no, Graham, it's been fun, as always. That's, that's another episode of Windy Window. Anything you want to say to the kids before we go? Goodbye. Okay. Well, for Graham Pittman, I'm David Kerr. Until next time. Happy reading.